0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. It's not about the here and now. It's about the then and there. What you need to do is get right with the King of Kings who was born in Bethlehem in a brown paper wrapping to prove to you that how you think things ought to be are not the way things ought to be and how you would do it is not the way I would do it. And I want you to rethink who Christ is because if you trust in Him, He will bring peace to the nations.
1: Hundreds of years before the first Christmas, Micah prophesied that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But why? And what was the purpose of God sending his son to earth? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares discusses this question and why Bethlehem seemed like such a weird choice to people at the time. God could have had Jesus born anywhere. So why did he choose Bethlehem? Well, here's Pastor Mike to help us understand exactly why it was so important for Jesus to be born there.
0: The real challenge of Christianity, including Christmas by the way, is to understand what this was, what actually happened here, and make sure that my mind conforms to that. And the only way we can define that is not by Christmas cards, not by Christmas songs, Bing Crosby can't help us with this, Mariah Carey. We just got to get back to what, what God has said about all of this. What did God say about the first coming of Christ? What was the point? What was the purpose? Now, we preached a lot of sermons in years past, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of sermons in years past about the coming of Christ. This year, I want you to turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. In Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, there's a prophecy about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. This is 700 years before Christ. It says the ruler that would be the ultimate ruler of Israel, and every rabbi from that point on had said, here is a messianic promise of the ultimate ruler of the world and the king of Israel coming from, and it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is going to be the place where Jesus, and here's the question, why? And if you say, well, he was born in Bethlehem because that's what the prophecy said. And we said, well, that's great, but why did the prophecy say it? Well, because he would be born there, right? if, if you have that circular reasoning, we need to stop, step out of that logic and say, wait a minute, God could have had him be born anywhere. And I know that some of you are like, ooh, 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 I know, I know, David. Well, that's a good, simple surface answer, but we need to ask ourselves, well, why? What difference does that make? Well, that's, that's David's town, that's David's hometown. No, well, you're right, that's true. But I want us to think about what a weird thing it was that not only Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but that David, the man after God's own heart, the greatest king of the Old Testament, why was he from there? Why did God have him be born there? Oh, little town. Of bethlehem we get the word and the description of bethlehem being little in this passage but look it up in your hebrew bibles and look up your hebrew lexicons and find out what the word little means because what you think of when you sing the song oh little town of bethlehem is not what the word means you think little means oh it's really small that's not the point the point of this hebrew word is it it's it, it's a chump right it's little you're you're, you're weak you're, you're nothing you're obscure well why would God send his king, the king of kings. Why would he send the king to earth and have him take his first breaths in in such an obscure, that may be a good word for it, little, puny, chumpy, other side of the track kind of place like Bethlehem. Here, Here is what I'm positing. The value of salvation is a kind of value that's unexpected, and most people don't Recognize it for what it is. Therefore, God wraps this present in not just where he was born, but in all other aspects that seem commensurate with that concept of him being born in a place like Bethlehem. The wrapping is a surprise. If you go to our house, we already have presents, and thankfully, you know, some of you... People, you're great. You bring presents over and we've got them under our tree and they're fancy. And some of you guys are trying to, I don't know, score points with the pastors, like big bows and there's shiny stuff. It's great. It's great. But if I had one under there that just had like, just, I don't know, the junk you get in your mailbox and and it's wrapped in that and it's got a shoelace around it'd be like, okay, that one's different. And you would say, I wonder what's in that one. Why? Because it's not like the others. I wonder what's in that one. That one seems like a raunchy gift. I wonder wonder what's in it. You would take a special interest in that because it is not like the others. All the others are trying to be fancy and acceptable and and ornate and glitzy. Well, this one's not even trying. Like, why isn't it even trying? It it gets attention because it's an unexpected wrapping because what's inside of it, we don't want you to assume it's like the others because it's not even close. Now unlike the way I normally teach, but I'd like you to write down the first point, which you'll say, I don't even get it. Okay, but here it comes. Number one, right, five words. Detect your longing for Christ. Detect your longing for Christ. If you jot that down, we'll read this text. And I want us to understand how much we actually long for Christ as romantic and sappy and unmasculine as that sounds. You do long for Christ, even though you may not know you long for Christ. And, and I think I can prove that. I can at least prove that what you do long for is not what you really want. And I think we're all old enough to know that. And I can emphasize that. But I can say, theologically, I would present to you and posit, I think, what Christ is and what he promises, what he represents, and what he says he'll bring. That is what you want. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. But you... O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are to, that's the word, to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now you've all read that. You know that verse. You even know this is all about David ultimately. Well, that's true and that's good but let's just deal with this first line right here, this concept of him coming from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. beth Bethany, Bethsaida, tons of Beth name, compound names in um, the Bible. Cities were named Beth, Beth this, Beth that. In Hebrew, the word Beth means house. Uh, lahem, it means bread. And you've heard this before, some of you, house of bread. So Bethlehem means house of bread. Uh, Ephrathah. This other name for it is is another word that, uh, it means means the place of fruitfulness. Okay, bread and fruit, bread and fruit. Ephrathah Bethlehem, this is a a moniker, a title that speaks of something like that everyone wants, and yet I just want to tell you all the way back to, to Genesis 35, this was a city that was not, it's not even a city, a village that was, was not associated with that. Matter of fact, if you were to ask anyone in the Old Testament, what does Bethlehem remind you of? Right? You, would, you would say, well, it's a really sad place. Matter of fact, there's a famous tomb there. You know whose tomb is there? Think about. Think now, Sunday School grads. The tomb of Rachel. Right? Rachel died there. And how did she die? Tragic. She died how? Can you imagine this? Maybe some of you know someone died in childbirth. Doesn't happen so much anymore, but... That's really sad. Matter of fact, as she was dying and she'd given birth to this son, they say, wait, don't die, you have a son. She, she says, I'm gonna call him son of sorrow, right? And she dies. Oh, well, by the way, in the time that Matthew describes the birth of Christ, he describes and reminds us of Rachel, and he talks about Rachel weeping for her children. And her children there they're weeping for was an enlistment of the passage about her crying And this was a prophecy of the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31. The idea of her weeping and the sadness of Bethlehem because of Herod slaughtering the babies there. The wailing and weeping of people because all these children, two and under, were just killed. I mean, this is a place that is not a happy place. Not only in the the birth of Christ story, not in the Old Testament story. You want to talk about a feast of of bread and fruit. It doesn't seem to live up to that. So here's a little tag on the present that says, bread and fruit, this will be great. The wrapping looks horrific. It looks sad, it looks ugly, it looks bad, looks negative. But inside, I'm supposed to understand there's something great there. Well, you need to look past the wrapping. As a matter of fact, the surprise and jarring nature of the wrapping of Christ being born in a place like this should get you to say, I should approach the understanding of what's inside the present, the Christ child, and I should really not just hop on to whatever my easy, intuitive thoughts are about that child. I got to think hard. Matter of fact, I got to get my head around whatever the truth of that person is. Who was predicted, by the way, it says in Isaiah, to be the person who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I mean, we don't even want the personage of Christmas to be We a jolly old Saint Nick would work for us. We don't, we don't want Christ who went around without a house, without a home, Luke 9 saying, I don't have a place to lay my head. He's always there lamenting he goes bring him lunch, I can't eat, I got work to do in John 4. he goes up on a ridge and looks down at Jerusalem and he starts weeping and crying He's like, what's wrong with this guy? Everything about him is the description in scripture that would make you think, well I know there's value there but it's hard to see that value because what I want it's not that it's not there. I don't it's not immediately perceivable And that's where I like to get you to think. God provides a child and he says, this child, to quote a contemporary prophet of Micah, Isaiah, right, this, this child, this, this mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He is this eternal being that is now born and this child is going to be the answer to everything. Matter of fact, look down a few verses here. Verse four, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. So this will be a powerful leader, a powerful. I mean, everyone's going to be like submitting to him. And there's majesty. That's a bigger word than you think of, of the glory of this leader. And what about his flock? What about his people? They shall dwell secure. It says, for now, he shall be great. How far? Just in our little enclave in the walls of the compound of the church? No, to the ends of the earth. And he himself, just he being there, him coming and leading, he will be their peace. Now, that's a summary of what he's unpacked in chapter four. I got to have you at least look at chapter four. Micah chapter four, verse one, it shall come to pass in the latter days. This is not now, and it's not even in Micah's time. And it, by the way, is not even in the first century, 700 years later. We've yet to see this that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and the people shall flow to it. And we're not talking about tourists on tourist buses. And many nations shall come and say, let us come and go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion, now that whenever we start kicking Jerusalem and in, in the mountain of God into the word Zion, we're not just talking about one of the seven hills of Jerusalem. We're talking about this idealized place where the Messiah is reigning, the, the capital city of Christ when he takes his power and exercises that power and, and shepherds his flock. We're talking about a worldwide Peace, because the ruler is ruling. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Law, God's gonna speak. You do this. The jurisdiction, the ability to speak the law to the people is going to be fully realized and fully exercised. He's gonna judge between many peoples. He'll arbitrate between, he mediate. He'll make things right. He shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. They're gonna sit there and they're gonna say, what does the CEO of the world say? Whatever he says, that's a, talk about binding arbitration, right? Here it is. You will, get, you will do what the king says. And they shall, because no one's going to say, well, he may have said that, but I'm going to break the law. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, right? Their spears into pruning hooks. Like no locksmiths. Now there's no weapons, right? There's no swords. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Can you imagine? Not a standing army among any of the nations of the kingdom when the ruler steps up to lead. How, how good is that? They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. That's the picture, by the way, of the blessing in the Old Testament of someone who has a luxurious life. I've got my backyard with the palm trees and the lounge, chase lounges, and everything is, 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 is peaceful and, and prosperous. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth Of the lord of hosts has spoken i'll bet you have locks i bet there are times you're afraid given the circumstances of life Uh, i'll bet there's plenty of things that remind you that if a nation's going to be strong and peaceful it better have a strong army unless you're a crazy thinker you 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 know that all of these things are important why because of the evilness of men's hearts everything has evil has to be restrained the best of what we could offer put your favorite candidates at the city council with, with, with the county supervisors in, you get, get Newsome out, put your perfect guy in place there. Go to DC, right? I'm assuming you're not a big Biden fan. Put your favorite president in there. And then let's go to the United Nations and do whatever you want to with that so that you can have something that you think should be going on in the world and make this world with all the people, make it what you want it to be. And let's see how that goes. Here's the indictment. Jesus, was born in Bethlehem to indict all of us for investing in something that doesn't work. We are hoping in something that cannot provide. We are wanting the satisfaction of fruit and bread from something that cannot provide that. You, you, you can't build higher walls and bigger gates and better alarm systems. You can't have bigger armies. You can't do any of the things you think that are going to make you happier, which is usually more money, better health. None of it will provide. Solomon, by the way, speaking of the lineage of David, had all of that. He wrote a book about it. And here was the line. And I know you know it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. I have everything. I have sex with as many beautiful women as I want. I have all the money I could possibly want. Talk about sitting under my 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 fig tree here. I've got all the gardens, all the plants. I got all the servants. I got everyone waiting. I got gold galore. I got everything. And, And he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Because here's the thing: you're old enough to know that even if you won the lottery, you understand your life would not be what you want it to be, which includes just a little bit of what we just read here. You want all the things that are here. And here's my my point. You, at the core, desire Christ, even if you don't know that Christ is the means to get it all. Jesus comes on the scene, and he says in John, John 6, he's talking to people that had just had their stomachs filled. They came to him because he heard he could turn a sack lunch into a huge feast. And he says, you didn't come to me right? For, for what you need to come to me for. You came to me because you got your bellies filled and you want, you want to sit back on the uh, rolling hills of Galilee here, on the Sea of Galilee, and you want to, to sit there with that full feeling that you feel, you know, with the afternoon siesta. That's what you want. He said, but you don't get it. He said, all that was a sign to show you something. And here, now he says it, speaking of Bethlehem, I am the bread of life. If anyone's going to hunger and thirst for them, hunger and thirst for me. If you really put your hope in me, he says, right? Whoever, whoever partakes of me, never thirst, never hunger. Now, here's the problem. If you don't know theology and you don't know sequence and chronology, and if you don't know that one thing comes before the next, you're going to think that that's the kind of thing that we should be offering to our neighbors and friends. Become a Christian and you will be satisfied, right? So let me help you dismantle your house alarm and let me take your keys and throw those away and I'll I'll permanently jerry-rig your car so it's always open. You, You wouldn't do that. You continue to do everything that you do in a fallen world, even though you have a relationship with Christ, because it is not, has your pastor ever said this to you before? It's not about the here and now. It's about the then and there. What you need to do is get right with the King of Kings who was born in Bethlehem in a brown paper wrapping to prove to you that how you think things ought to be are not the way things ought to be and how you would do it is not the way I would do it. And I want you to rethink who Christ is because if you trust in him, he will bring peace to the nations and you will sit under your vine and all that you desire will be fulfilled. The desires of your heart are all in the presence of God, to quote Psalm 16, 9, is fullness of joy. But that's then and there. We're seeing through a glass dimly now, and from here to the kingdom, as Paul had to remind the people he led to Christ, we must must endure a lot of tribulation. Jesus himself said in this world, John 16, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Why? I've overcome the world, which means what? I am the Christ, and I am the one who is going to usher in a kingdom where everyone's going to take their swords and beat them into plowshares. They're going to take all their spears they would use for killing people and protecting their nation, and they're going to go fishing with them. That is the world I'm going to bring in. You better trust in me, but you better understand who I am. The problem with the world is sin. I came to solve this, the problem of sin. And it isn't just, hey, you'll be satisfied if you become a Christian because you'll relieve your guilt. I agree. Your guilt, you'll, you'll have your guilt forgiven. it will be great. But what we're really wanting is a set of desires that cannot be fulfilled by anything in this world. You have to trust in Christ because the day Christ takes his power and begins to reign, everything will be as it ought to be. Matter of fact, that's a good inverse definition of sin. Sin is that things are not the way they ought to be. How would you like things to be? Right? More money, not gonna solve the problem. More exercise, not gonna solve the problem. Lower number on the scale, not gonna solve the problem. Right guy in in DC, not going to solve the problem. Do I want all those things? Desperately, right? But I know this, I'm still living under the fall. I'm still living with Christ enthroned at the right hand of the Father and not here. He's not in Jerusalem, he's not in DC, he's not in any place on this earth except through the presence of the third person of the Godhead, but I am someone who's waiting for the coming of the kingdom. I'm supposed to be praying for it every day. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and not in Jerusalem where they would expect a good king to be born. Because God, I think, wants us to stop and say, well, none of this is the way you think it should be. What you long for is Christ, because he's the answer.
1: We're resetting our expectations today with Pastor Mike Fabares here on Focal Point. Our message is titled, Bethlehem's Honor, God's Kingly Village. If you'd like to listen to the complete message without interruption, or watch the video replay online, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, Mike, Christians have been saying that truth is under attack for decades, but wow, I don't think I've ever seen it this bad before.
0: Yeah, Dave, the ideological battles that were taking place 30 years ago, those seem very tame compared to what's going on today. I mean, think about it, just even the idea of defining a woman or a man, I mean, that men can get pregnant, that these doctors are out there trying to provide, uh, you know, gender affirming care. It's just crazy, right? The people fighting for their right uh, to continue to slaughter the unborn. And it seems to be getting worse. And it's no wonder that the Bible is under attack, right? In the world's eyes, there's no such thing as the truth, right? Truth that sits there and tells us how to live. And yet, if you listen to Focal Point Radio, you know that, that the Bible's black and white. It's clear, right? There's no my truth, your truth. There's just the truth. And the truth doesn't change. It doesn't ever change. It doesn't matter what's popular today or tomorrow or in our culture or that culture, right? What matters is the truth. It's under attack, maybe like never before, but now's the time for us to continue to double down. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're not going to waver. We've got a responsibility, a God-given duty to defend and declare the truth of God's word. No apologies, right? That's what we do every single day here on Focal Point. That's our commitment. And I'm calling, inviting our faithful listeners this Christmas season to give in support of seeing this continue on through Focal Point. Your year in gifts to Focal Point, they provide a financial means that are necessary to send this program out each and every day across the airwaves, online, and through our mobile app. That is just, it's so critical. It's essential. And we'd ask you to stand with us as we declare the truth, God's truth, in a culture where truth is under attack. Thank you so much for your special year-end gifts. And we couldn't do this, obviously, without friends like you. To make a donation, call 888-320-5885. That's eight 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 three two zero
1: fifty eight eighty five, 320 5885 Or give online at focalpointradio.org. And when you send your gift today, we'll mail you a copy of Kevin Zuber's book, The Essential Scriptures, as our way of saying thank you. You'll appreciate having this Bible study tool by your side as you go deeper in God's Word. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Thank you for supporting the work of exploring and proclaiming the depths of Scripture. We couldn't do it without you you know just this week we sent a special christmas gift to everyone we're in touch with by mail it's an encouraging resource featuring seven requests for god found in the lord's prayer this specially designed bookmark lists the daily petitions from the lord's prayer and has a magnetic backing so you can place it on your fridge as a daily encouragement and reminder to pray to receive your special gift from Focal Point, fill in the simple form when you go to focalpointradio.org/magnet. That's focalpointradio.org/magnet. Well, I'm Dave Drury, inviting you to join us again next time as we continue this special Christmas series. That's coming up Thursday on Focal Point.
0: Hey there, Pastor Mike here. We're almost out of time, but before we go, I wanted to personally invite you to contact us here. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click the contact page or send me a note on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pastor Mike or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. Can't wait to hear from you.
1: Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.